The Arizona Coyotes say bye-bye to their Tempe arena, dead in the water. Where do they go from here? Well, if only I knew, if only you knew, if only the NHL knew. Uh, so we'll talk about the potential plan Bs and Cs involved in that. Meantime, the Leafs are already in the middle of their plan B in the GM chair as Kyle Dubas bids farewell to the team. And the way he bid farewell is probably the most shocking that we've seen yet. Also, we reflect on one heck of a season from the Seattle Kraken and one heck of a conference finals in store for us. Episode 365 of the Lace Month Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. I know the uh, coyotes are a um, breed of dog, but they might as well be a breed of cat, because I swear to God, Brett, this franchise has nine lives. I don't know if they're on live five, six, or seven, yeah. uh, but um, they might have lost their biggest lifeline yet. Yeah, I mean, I guess if in this analogy, if we continue it forward it seems very likely that they're going to be moving um and have nine lives um are they on their ninth life um yeah uh, there's a lot of st- they'll just a- burn through the last three at once <laughs> yeah exactly um it feels that way for sure uh, yeah there's uh, on that note there's a lot of like uh routes or things to talk about on this story but um in case you guys haven't heard, um, I feel like people who listen to this show are hockey diehards, so they do know all this news stories. But you know, of course, just for <laughs> like we, sh- we should always mention the news when it happens, as as we discuss it. But um, yeah, so uh, last week uh, the Coyotes, um, there was this Tempe, Tempe Arizona bid, um, and. Um, which, uh, like, I guess there's new allotted space now um, that citizens of Tempe could vote on. There was, uh, like, I guess for some reason there was, like, three separate votes for this, and the Coyotes failed on each one. Um, and I, I don't know. It was all confusing or whatever. But the main point is is that uh, the, the Coyotes' new home is not going to be in Tempe. Um yeah, there's a couple of things that thoughts that I had on this. Um, one being that um, you know it always sucks to like lose a franchise in your um, in, in like a in a city. Um, I'm, I mean, it will never happen in Boston uh, just because like <laughs> the sports teams here are basically ingrained in the city. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of other cities that uh, love their sports teams. Philly, New York. Um, just Montreal. Like Montreal, yeah, Toronto. Um, but, um, uh, but although I don't know if you guys care about the Raptors that much. Um, but, anyways. I personally care. Yeah, I guess, I guess there might be something to the fact that it's the only Canadian team in the NBA. Yeah. So it's it's like way. the Jays, like all yeah. of Kayla rallies around that team. Yeah, Not yeah, I guess that's true. That's true. Um, anyways, um, 
but uh yeah so it's, it's just it just sucks that like like this this could happen where Arizona um is gone um I think there's also an element of like oh this has been going on forever so it's just like yeah it sucks but um but I, I think it's just time for Arizona to move on um and then uh like there's there was uh reports that the Utah Jazz owner um, wants like uh, like wants the coyotes to go to Salt Lake City um, the, the Houston Rockets owner wants them to go to Houston um, those have been the two biggest rumors um, even like um, which I don't know how this is possible but the Connecticut governor wants the Hartford Whalers back. Um, I believe Quebec City has made a bid. Atlanta has made a bid. I don't see the NHL going to those places again, uh, simply because then they would have to realign the division. If you remember, originally when Winnipeg, uh, or when Atlanta moved to Winnipeg, um, they uh, they changed the uh, league uh, divisions, and Detroit and Columbus had been asking to be moved to the Eastern Conference because the time zone things. Um, and so so if if the Arizona Coyotes were, and I think there was a part of it too when they made it, because I feel like the NHL must have known, because the Arizona is not in this, like shouldn't be in the central division. Um, so they must have been planning this for a little bit um, in case something like this would happen. Uh, so like Houston, St. Louis make, or sorry, uh, Salt Lake City make the most sense um, from that standpoint, um, because then you wouldn't have to realign anything because it's like, oh, Utah and Texas are are in that time zone. Um, so so that makes sense there. Um, and then, yeah, I, I had a few other thoughts here. Oh, it just makes like just these like, uh, like the the jazz owner and the rockets owner it just makes me realize like the sun's owner um, like supposedly I, I didn't realize this and then when I did some research this week this was something that I was just like why didn't I know this when when it happened but uh, so it used to be the Phoenix Coyotes um, and that was supposedly because the Robert Sarver who is the sun's owner he didn't want the coyotes to be in their arena, so he kicked them out. Um, and now, uh, last year, um, Robert Sarver, oh, and also the, that arena, um, like, in hockey games, like, the upper deck, like, you can't see both goals, um, and both the NHL and the Coyotes were saying, like, all right, we, we can't do this unless like the suns or you know the arena decides to make some reconstruction stuff um already done that by the way <laughs> to this yeah, building yeah recently. which which is like crazy cuz i don't i don't even know how that's possible that you can't see goals on the upper deck that <laughs> seems kind of crazy to me uh or like as long as you can yeah. see the hoop i suppose it's fine but, like it's also like like i like i can't even think of like you know boston the celtics and the bruins share an arena 
the Raptors and the Leafs share an arena, the, the Sixers and the Flyers share an arena, I can, Knicks, Rangers share an arena. I could give you countless of examples about it, like, te- like the NBA and the NHL teams sharing an arena. None of them have that issue. So I, I don't know how that's even possible. Well, but, um, the, the Islanders' temporary stay in Brooklyn yeah, had that problem, true. and that wasn't suited for them either. And they had a car in their rink. <laughs> hey, that happens in Europe, okay? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's not totally anyways, unheard of. <laughs> so, so anyways, all the, I mean, I don't know, uh, but anyways, I, I just mentioned this because, one, it's kind of crazy that the Suns didn't even want that to begin with. Uh, just because it's like it's a commonplace thing now between those two leagues, but also like um, now uh, there's a new owner for the Suns. Uh, uh, yep. Sarver kind of outed himself as pretty much an asshole, um, and there was this whole lawsuit that came out, and he uh, is basically gone from Phoenix. And uh, in comes this guy named Matt Ish- Ishiba, who's kind of like a Mark Cuban type owner um there is a possibility i don't know what his plans are or i assume he's he's spoken about what what's going on there but there, like i do kind of wonder like th- this might be the last move where like yeah. i wonder if matt ishibo is like you know what we want a new stadium anyways because uh the stadium that they play in is uh very old so they might be, they might want that extra income, um, and uh, work with the Arizona Coyotes and Marulo, uh, who's the Coyotes owner, um, to to work on that. Um, and we'll see. Maybe that that could be something. Of course, this is all just speculation at this point. Um, or what could also happen is is maybe uh, Ishiba is like. Okay, let's find another arena somewhere uh, in Arizona. I want to partner with the Coyotes because I know that they're looking for someone or, uh, or like an open location somewhere. Uh, let's let's go there. So that could be another option. I believe uh, Chris Johnston mentioned that that could be a possibility, but um, it's unclear if that's actually going to happen. Um, but yeah, you definitely feel for for all these uh, players, all the fans. Um, cause like, you know, your, your sense almost left Ottawa. That was the whole thing with Melnick, uh, his last couple of years as a sense owner was that like, he wanted to leave just because of their low attendance. And to me, I say is like, yeah, the coyotes sucked, but, um, but they, uh, you know, like that's still not a good enough reason to leave a city <laughs> and, um, and yeah, it's just it's just a sad situation overall. But I think at the same time, it's like, all right, it's inevitable. I guess it's just let's let's move on. So the thing about the Ottawa Senators, you know, potentially moving out of Ottawa, I don't think that was like a real threat of happening because well, uh, first of all, the I don't think the NHL would have allowed it to happen. But like, I will, I will argue there was track. like there was low attendance, and Melnick did say that. Like that's that was the start yeah. of why people wanted him even out. even during the 2017 run, the fact yeah. that they weren't filling out the building that was documented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I like yeah I, I hear what you're saying, and like 
to the NHL credit, like they they've like they've gone above and beyond to keep the Coyotes in Arizona as much as they can. Um, like they've yeah. done everything. Yeah, to a fault, uh, Gary Bettman uh, has been a ride or die kind of commissioner. Mm. Like you you look at the NFL teams, as we said countless times, how much the Chargers and the Raiders have moved around, yeah. uh, and you look at uh, you know the potential demise of Major League Baseball's Oakland Athletics and uh, their future in Oakland. Um, the only team in the NHL that's really left is Atlanta. And I mean, yeah, I was about, I was about was to say on the extension of Atlanta because it didn't work twice. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, and both flee to Canada. Yeah. Out west as well. Exactly, yeah. Which is... Oh, yeah, yeah that's true too. Um, yeah, the Flames and the Jets, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so a bit of a background on the building that the Phoenix Suns currently play in. It is currently named the Footprint Center. Right. It was uh, for the longest time called America West Arena from 1992 to 2006. It opened in 92, June of 92, and it broke ground August the 1st, 1990. I'm pretty sure when it broke ground, I don't think the Sens were a team yet, officially, because I think it was December 1990 when they found out they were getting a franchise. And the Palladium, which is... Uh, changed names a bunch of times. It's now the Canadian Tire Center. It opened in like, I want to say late 95, early 96. So this building is older than the one the Sens currently play at. Oh, wow. The one that's been talked about. Um, hey, the Sens would be a lot more profitable in downtown Ottawa, which location rise, not wrong. And uh, that's what was kind of falling apart of with all the Melnick drama from 2017 to 2019 is the downtown deal fell through. And now it's reportedly back on again uh, since his passing. Um, so the Sens are making progress, um, quite progress, but progress on uh, a new downtown arena or, or at least a more centralized location there. Uh, so getting a new long-term home has been a talking point in Ottawa for multiple years now. And it's been yep. a talking point since uh, the Coyotes got kicked out of Gila River Arena, which, like the Canadian Tire Center, some might argue, is not in the best location to get people invested in the game night lifestyle. Like, mm -hmm. just commute-wise, it's, it's not easy to get fans to that building. Yep. So now the Coyotes have put themselves in Mullet Arena, because they have no choice, with the idea of this being a springboard to the arena in Tempe. And um, as one does, I listen to multiple different podcasts, the Steve Dangle podcast, the Wing Wheel podcast, uh, 32 Thoughts. And there were a couple of key things that uh, I got out of listening to those podcasts talking about this whole situation. Uh, one note is that... Um, I don't think there was even like, I think it was like a third of, you know, the eligible people that, uh, you know, had the option to vote on this actually showed up to vote, which, um, I mean, Ontario's latest election, the voter turnout was low, yeah. but it wasn't nearly as low as this vote yeah. uh, for starters. And when you have that low of a turnout and not only do you get rejected not once not twice but three times 
all three of those rejections aren't just no's, they're hell no's. Right, right. <laughs> Out of however many percent showed up, like less than 40%. Like that, that kind of is a red flag to me hmm. as to like just how many people are invested in the success of this fan base. And uh, on the Wing Wheel podcast, they were talking about how the Arizona Coyotes spent, I think it was like $250,000, something along those lines, uh, below a million dollars, basically, uh, on advertisements to say, hey, please vote yes on this deal. Do you know how much money was invested in the anti-Tempe Arena ads? From, from the opposition that was trying to get this rejected. You know how much money was invested into those? Multiple millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah, I did see that, yeah. They even got outclassed in advertisements just mm. saying yes or no to this damn thing. So, <laughs> yeah. what do you expect? Like, you get what you pay for. Yeah. And yeah. I, it, it really sucks for the Arizona fans because... There are there are genuine fans who give a damn about this team mm-hmm. and they want this team to stay, but the the math just doesn't add up. And while I admire the NHL's initiative to make this work in Arizona, at some point you got to know when yep. to cut bait. At some point you got to realize, okay, this car uh, is reached the end of the line. We need to get a new one. Yeah, and oh, sorry. I think I think getting the partnership with the Phoenix Suns involved is the only way this team stays in Arizona. Otherwise, Salt Lake City, Utah, Houston, Texas, I think either one of those yeah. options are probably better fits at this point than Arizona for this yeah. for this franchise. And it it's unfortunate, but yeah. they had, like, what, three decades to make it work, and yeah. it just hasn't. I mean... It is unfortunate, but at the same time, uh, we're wa- we're watching uh, conference finals of Vegas um, and Dallas, and we're also watching <laughs> the on the other conference final. We're watching Carolina and Florida. All four of those teams are south, like are like very hot locations to be in. Um, so, like, yeah, they moved to Salt Lake City, or like you know, just are markets that it really embraced. Um, hockey, um, and yeah, I guess it just didn't work in Arizona, uh, but we'll see, uh, what happens, because there's a lot of moving pieces that are in line, like you were just saying with, so. And, and the ironic yeah. part is the Carolina-Florida matchup, we were poking fun at both of those markets, yep. uh, at the time we started this podcast, we yeah. were poking fun at both markets for their attendance. Yeah, yeah. And in Carolina, it's improved significantly. Florida, it's a work in progress, but it's at but, least better. But it's better if and, your team is uh, good, you know? <laughs> like, like then if, you look at Arizona, yeah. it's like, well, nothing's changed, really. But, like, even, like, you take, like, a market like Seattle, like, they are, yeah. you know, like, I guess it helps that they're good. But even last year, I remember, like, there was a lot of Kraken fans um, in Seattle. So it's like... There's definitely people there who can buy into stuff. And Vegas was probably the biggest risk that the NHL has taken because there was no sports teams at that time. And now the Raiders are joining, uh, or the the Raiders are in Vegas now, and the Athletics are shortly going to join them too. So um, so it's like, you know, other leagues have kind of uh, have taken a part of that. 
Um, it also just makes me wonder, as you were saying this vote, like, it does make me wonder if, like, let's say the Coyotes did win the Connor Bedard lottery, do we think the vote would have changed? And I would guess no. <laughs> I, I don't think it would have. Uh, so, which, uh, which is kind of sad, honestly, when you yeah, think Yeah, I know. And it's just, like, and, and it leads more credence to, like, okay, so, like, yeah, it's sad if you're uh, Arizona fan i feel that like i i uh, went to school in connecticut i feel bad for the hartford whalers fans who still want a team there um you know and you could say the same about quebec and you could say the same about atlanta but yeah it's just, so it's always sad when like teams leave markets like that but um but on the other hand it's like as i was just saying it's like there are definitely cities out there that could embrace a team um that arizona apparently doesn't want um so i i did see this article here and this is according to darren drager and elliot friedman uh there could be a chance that the new sun's owner matt ishiba is more open to this idea of buying the arizona coyotes um so so that would be the uh, uh drager speculated that ishiba could potentially buy the coyotes and move the team downtown um, and Freeman discussed the same potential on his 32 Thoughts podcast. Uh, Freeman yeah. goes, I wouldn't be surprised if Gary Bettman and the NHL, if they haven't already met, meet with him to gauge his interest in supporting the idea of turning the Suns' current rink into a facility that can also support the Coyotes, um, he said. But if uh, Shiba is not interested, then that almost all but assures the Coyotes will be forced to move the franchise, which is what you were just saying. Uh, Friedman was saying that, and other reporters have been saying that Salt Lake City and Houston are the front runners, but uh, Kansas City, Sacramento, and Quebec City have all expressed interest in uh, taking the Coyotes on. Um, Kansas City would be kind of interesting, particularly because it's like they don't have an NBA team. Um, but it's also. They also had an NHL team for a very short period of time, yeah. way, way back in the day. Um, oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, the Kansas City Scouts, yeah. they didn't last long. The other point, uh, I think this this is also from Friedman, but uh, Jeff Merrick, um, this was the discussion that Jeff Merrick and Elliot Freeman had, and this was before the vote even happened, uh, because they were talking about the Oilers and the Leafs' demise, and they were just wondering why... Like, is it just a coincidence that there hasn't been a Canadian team that's won the Cup in uh since 1993 um and um and uh freeman made a good point here and i'll say it here even though it's like a different topic altogether uh but the fact that um florida has no income tax uh dallas has no income tax uh there's a lot of um I, seattle doesn't have an income tax i believe vegas has an income tax but that's that's one factor for like free agents also, like guys like Bobrovsky and Matty Kachuk, who are both like the the big the biggest reasons why the Panthers are where they are right now. Um, they both want to live in sunny weather, and in Canada, there's no chance of that at all. Um, which I thought was a, a really good point. It's like, yeah, you have your John yeah. Tavares. You have your John Tavares. Tremendous point, in fact. Yeah. yeah. You have your John. Sure, you have your John Tavares's who want to be close to home because he grew up a Leafs fan, and you have that advantage of like 
playing with Connor McDavid or playing with Austin Matthews or um, and back when the Flames had uh, Goudreau, you know, you you could play with those guys, but like there is something to the fact that it's sunny, like and and Jeff Merrick was even saying something to the effect of that when it's like just from like a biological standpoint, your body reacts like reacts to the sun um, more. Like, you know, there's just something, some like psychological thing where it, when you're in the sun all the time, it's better than just being in the cold all the time. Um, so it's just interesting yeah. because Arizona, it's hot out all the time there and they still have, they never really got a free agent coming. They never really got, um, I mean, I guess that's partially just to do with they've had bad draft ladder, lottery luck. Their management suck with the whole John Chaka stuff, um, and um, but like yeah, so it's just a sad misfortune. But like, I was just thinking about that too. It's like, you know, Arizona is probably one of the the best places to live, and if they can't get hockey to work in Arizona like that, like this has been twenty years, um, then it's like all right, I I, I think it is time to move on. Um, yeah, like the, probably yeah. The, the most famous they were when Kachuk and Ronick played yeah. for them, and that was like the early two thousands. And, and Shane, <laughs> that's Dunn. a long time. They they did make the conference yep. finals um, in like twenty twelve, I think. Um, yeah, that's the only time they made it that far. Yeah, yeah, and you know, um, and then they stunk the next year, uh, but um, yeah. Um, also, should we mention the, the other? The other thing oh. that, I, that I also wanted to mention is yeah. like I would imagine it's not necessarily a place where you become famous. Like it's there's not like marketing deals to be had yeah. like there is in New York and Los Angeles as well. Like yeah. it's it's a pretty chill place, but like there there's no like Hollywood or Broadway vibe to Arizona. I feel like yeah, yeah, yeah. True. I guess it's more like, I mean, I would argue that like I, like, cause like if you're living in LA, you can just go to Arizona, um, on the weekends if you want. Like I, I think there are exactly. people who do that. So I, I, I feel like that could be nice though. I don't know, but I, I see what you mean. Um, okay. Um, I think that's it. I mean, I'm sure this is like an ongoing story, so of course we'll we'll get you updated when there's more news there. But yeah, um, we'll see. Um, okay, uh, the next on our list here is that Kyle Dubis was fired as the Toronto GM. Uh, this was kind of a shocking move to me. Uh, not so much the fact that like he was. He, he was on the hot seat this entire time, so it's like, um, it, it does make sense why. But I, I guess I was just thinking, like, okay, we know that if they made the, if they got past the first round, the Leafs, and like, you know, the only guy that Dubis fired or hired was Sheldon Keefe. I guess Babcock, but I think that was more Lamarillo's guy. And there was a tricky situation there. Um, and then uh, there was a presser um, that Dubis mentioned of that he wasn't sure because he, he's uh, he was on the end of his contract, but he wasn't sure 
um, if you wanted to extend because uh, his family has to go back to his family. They're having some concerns, and um, and we'll see. Um, and and then it turns out that that is actually what ended up doing it because uh, supposedly behind the scenes, Shanahan and Dubis's team were working on the um, on on a new contract. Um, it seemed like they could have. But then Shanahan watched. Oh, and also there were reports that, um, like Dubis wanted or Dubis like told Shanahan there was some miscommunication with Dubis's agent and Dubis where the agent wanted to get a raise, and Dubis was saying in the presser that like, oh, I'm not so sure. I might just like you know leave hockey for a little bit because I you know it's it's a stressful job or whatever. Um, which is fair. It's like that's probably the hardest job <laughs> in in hockey is being the Toronto GM. Um, so, um, so that so like Shanahan was getting like mixed messaging, and he was just thinking like, you know what? I want someone who is fully in um, and isn't trying to like like skeeve us of money, and it's like fifty percent in. So he just fires uh, Dubis um, because of that. Um, so I, like, I don't know if it's necessarily like, you know, we, we talked last week about like getting rid of the, the, the big four, um, in Toronto and that's basically what Dubis helped build. Um, and you know, he also like, he basically made the Toronto Maple Leafs into this really, really good team. Cause there was like a decade before Dubis where, the, Le- the Leafs management was the laughing stock of the NHL. And um, and he managed, like, yeah, a lot of that has to do with drafting Austin Matthews. But he also drafted uh, Mitch Marner. He also drafted William Nylander. He also convinced John Tavares to be a part of the team. Um, and he was also, like, just, you know, he signed, um, you know, he had contract extensions for Morgan Riley, um you know, he got Freddie Anderson in, he got a lot of these other goalies, and that that part, you can be critical of him, um, but in terms of, like, getting the team into this, like, incredible roster right now, he deserves a ton of credit for that. I mean, and sure, Lou Lamarillo stepped in as well, but we'll, you know, it's, it's something like that, but I can totally see Shanahan's side of things where it's like, okay, like, you know, that's fine if you if you just want to have like a mental health break and you just want to leave Toronto because it's it's taking its toll on him. But like just yeah, it's like if you're if you're just tipsy turvy about the whole thing, then I can totally see why Shanahan's like, all right, we just want someone who actually wants to be here instead. So um, so yeah, I totally get why he was doing it. Um, but yeah, I, I I imagine Shelton Keith will be fired shortly as well. Because that usually is what happens when the GM goes uh, first, but um, but yeah, that's something that we'll have to see. So um, I wouldn't say it's a matter of whether or not Kyle Dubas wanted to be there, and that's what sealed it. It's I have a sense that the Maple Leafs are tired of waiting, and they don't have time to wait. They have five weeks to make potentially franchise-changing decisions here. Right. 
the future of Sheldon Keefe as coach. And if he's not there, who replaces him? Um, Kyle Dubas's fate has been decided. Now they need to find a new GM. It's rumored that Brad Living is in the mix um, after the Calgary Flames gave him permission uh, to speak with the Maple Leafs. Um, uh, Brandon Pridham, obviously, the right-hand man to Kyle Dubas, is probably going to be considered. Uh, a lot of people I've seen on Twitter uh, want to see Eric Tolsky in the Hurricanes front office being considered. And in fact, a lot of people in Leafland would go crazy and just spew tears of joy if Tolsky was the successor to Dubas. And I think he would be a great fit for the Maple Leafs. Um, there's word that um, one of the Leafs' assistant coaches um, might be up for consideration for other NHL coaching opportunities. Uh, Jason Spezza, the oh, yeah, special yeah. assistant to the general manager, before Shanahan went live at his press conference, he quit. Yep. So now he's out too. Um and maybe the, the sudden dismissal of Dubas was the catalyst for that. Who knows? Um, and then, of course, the roster changes. Like, what do you do with Matthews? Mm-hmm. What do you do with Marner? What do you do with Nylander and the rest of the roster? Who do you draft? Um, all of that has to be decided within a very short time span. And if the guy that is being tasked with making those moves isn't 100% committed or there's doubts that he's 100% committed because of, you know, obviously some personal matters that, you know, if Kyle Dubas uh, puts them over the team, absolutely 100% he should. Like, family over everything, honestly. Like, uh, he was quoted in the press conference saying, it, what I can guarantee is that you won't see me pop anywhere else. Um, I It's been a taxing season on my family. I cannot put them through a move to another market after what they went through this year. So it's either here or nowhere else for me right now. And um, as far as I'm concerned, he's going to take time to, to be with his family and sort out the next chapter. There are reports that from Elliot Friedman, the Pittsburgh Penguins might just check in on Dubas and see, hey, are you interested in joining the party or um, the organization in some capacity? And, you know, presumably the answer from Dubas is going to be no if he stands by his word. But, you know, again, things change very quickly, as we found out. So I guess anything's possible now. Um, But when 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 I took a deeper dive into, you know, Brett, what you were saying and what was being said, you know, by Toronto media, the Steve Dangle podcast, 32 thoughts, all the Toronto guys who eat, sleep and breathe, leave hockey and have followed this team for years is again, you need to make sure you have the right guy in place to make these challenging moves. The fact of the matter is Kyle Dubas's Maple Leafs teams averaged 106 points per season, which is insane. Yep. Like, the franchise record up until that point was 105, and he was an assistant general manager on that Leafs team that got 105 points. In terms of regular season success, what more could you ask for? Other than for the players to do cartwheels and a storm surge after the game, uh, I don't think there's anything more that needs to be said in terms of regular season success. And they won a playoff series, which is good. I mean, he did better than, you know... The other 20 years of Leafs misery and coming up short there this year. And as Brendan Shanahan complimented on uh, Dubas, 
trade deadline felt he was excellent. And back in March, he felt uh, eager to keep him along. And uh, Chris Johnson uh, said after they won against Tampa in game six, that was the time when they realized, okay, we're keeping Dubas. And then obviously things changed from that point on. And I don't think there was anything wrong with what Dubas said. I think you saw a glimpse of humanity, you know, this being the general manager of a hockey team, the greatest hockey league on earth, in fact, is a very strenuous job. And it takes a toll on yourself and your family and your friends. And obviously if, if you want to step away from that, I don't blame you for a second. Yeah. In a market like Toronto, like times that pressure by three. <laughs> right, right. Like people will probably call you out on the supermarket over a dumb trade they think you just made. Probably, I would assume, because that's how invested Toronto fans are. Mm. And, you know, when you're heading into a very pivotal offseason, you want to make sure you're confident in the guy that's calling the shots. And if after watching that press conference that put plants the seed of doubt in your mind and you're not quite sure, I don't blame Brendan Shanahan for making this tough move to move away from Kyle Dubas and look elsewhere. But the way he did it at the press conference, to me, is borderline unprofessional. And I'll explain that by saying, remember when Daryl Sutter was fired as coach of the Calgary Flames a couple weeks ago? Interim GM Don Maloney steps up to the podium. Big press conference with the media. And he goes over, you know, the typical bullet points as to what led the team to the decision of parting ways with Daryl Sutter. And it was the same, you know, we wish Daryl all the best. We just figure it was best to move on. He didn't go into an entire description of the events that led to them saying, okay, this guy needs to go. And Brendan Shanahan was so detailed in the events that led to Kyle Dubas's firing. I was kind of wondering if he was going to tell the media what he had for dinner the night before. Like It, it was, it was super detailed uh, to the point where it's too detailed. And there was a lot of stuff there that was said that I think is it should be on a need-to-know basis. Like, if your company goes through, like, a setup layoff, for example, mm-hmm. obviously there's going to be a company-wide email that goes through. It's like, hey, we made some changes. If you have any questions, please feel free to ask. But they don't put them out in the public as to why they got rid of this person. And after parting ways with Kyle Dubas, Shanahan steps up to the podium, 3 p.m., Friday before a long weekend, no less, here in Canada, by the way. Yeah, there's Memorial and, Weekend uh, yeah, tomorrow for us. Yeah, but, oh, yeah in Canada, we celebrate Victoria Day uh, weekend. It's uh, the third Monday of May, I believe. Actually, Memorial year. Day is next weekend. <laughs> so. Yeah, for the States. Yeah, yeah. And, and for, for Canada, our long weekend is this weekend. Yeah, so yeah. this is the typical Friday dump in the news industry. It's like, oh, everyone's gone home. Yeah. We'll just dump this news and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you on Tuesday about it. Mm. And so he goes up to the podium at 3 p.m. on a Friday of a long weekend and just says, in my opinion, too much. And I think it was just uh, very unnecessary. Like, 
you could have said the bullet points and that was that it, people probably weren't expecting him to say as much as he did and he did and i think it was the wrong move and then there were reports that maybe confirm what all of us maybe have already heard is that kyle dubas was at odds with brendan shanahan and even had some of his trades blocked by shanahan this is according to yahoo sports uh, it says, according to The Athletic, a power struggle emerged between Dubas and Shanahan with the Leafs president dictating moves. According to James Myrtle, uh, Dubas uh, and team president Brennan Shanahan, according to multiple sources, power of issues was arising over several seasons. Um, no specific moves were mentioned, uh, but on and on it goes. And uh, then there was this part. Uh, Dubas and Shanahan reportedly met with ownership last Sunday to negotiate the framework of a new deal, and it is believed the future of head coach Sheldon Keefe was one of the discussion points. There is also a belief within the organization the roster would benefit from a major shakeup per The Athletic. Quote, it's likely Dubas was told that Keefe would or should be a casualty during an offseason that all involved agreed required significant, uh, significant change. There is also a view in the organization, the article goes on, that players have become too comfortable, which will likely feed into whatever organizational decisions are made this summer. Mm. Part of what was an issue with the board, whether Dubas was prepared to make those hard decisions, such as firing a coach he was very close with and trading players he had backed ever since they entered the league seven seasons ago. So in that sense, if they fear that Dubas was also still having cold feet about making these big changes, well, there's another red yeah. flag. Yeah, true. Because... It's obvious that clear changes need to be made. But again, although wait, can I? I just want to interject with one point here. Yeah. Um, like that's all speculation. Like we don't know if that's actually yeah. true. Yeah, but um, according to um, these reports, uh, it might explain um, maybe the inner workings of like who said what and at what time. Okay. Like, I'm yeah. sure Brendan Shanahan was watching the Dubas press conference. We don't really know. Like, we weren't there. <laughs> we don't know for sure. Well, I'm sure Shanahan somewhere was listening to the Dubas press conference right. when it happened because yeah. he Chris said Johnson that influenced his that, decision. Yeah, yeah Freeman did, yeah. did say that. Yes, that's true. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. So... So anyway, um, so maybe the inner workings of, of that played a bit of a role. But either way, regardless of whether you think Dubas is the right man for the job, you you don't go that deep into yeah. what led to a very tough decision like that. But I also think part of this was also Shanahan being sneakily calculated. Because I feel like there was a message that was hidden in what he was saying. And it's like, hey, you see your GM players right there? Yeah. He asked for quite a bit of money. Yeah. We're not going to give you everything you want. We're not going to give you all the power. We're tired of waiting. Undying loyalty is over. We want 100% commitment or pack up the moving van and get yeah. out. Well, it does make me I want... Feel I feel this was an indirect fire shot, uh, uh, indirect warning shot. Yeah. Matthews, Marner, and Neilander saying, "Hey, we love you. We want to keep you, but we're not going to give you everything you want. Are you in?" Right. Well, and answer quickly. Yeah, you know, I, I, it did make me think because we did we had a heated argument in our last for the Leafs obituary 
where you were Say saying passionate or uh, passionate to discussion, not an argument, but fair, fair, fair. Good point. Um, and uh, where you had said that you you thought that Matthews, Marner, uh, or one of those, uh, or uh, Nylander, or Tavares, although Tavares is even harder to move because of I would the say Nylander and one of Matthews, Marner. Oh, oh yeah, you you were saying like a lot of them, yeah, and um, I still wouldn't trade Matthews. Um, you could talk me out of Marner, but I still. I'm not sure. I don't want to start this again. Uh, but I will say, after this news, I was considering thinking, like, hmm, I wonder if, like, let's say Matthews didn't like the GM cho- choice that they inevitably are going to make. Like, I'm sure he's going to be like, you know what? I want out of here. Um, <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe he goes... And, and, that's, and that's the risk. If you yeah. choose the wrong GM... Yeah. As particularly an outsider, yeah. like a true living that yeah. doesn't really know much about this team outside of, you know, watching his right. former team play them a bunch of times in the past. Like, you 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 need an outsider like Tolski or a guy like Pridham inside, and it looks like Chan's going to lead on the insider Pridham, to make these tough decisions in the lead-up to the draft and free yeah. agency and whatnot. And you can't afford to mess this up. And in the process, if your message also further divides the team, you've mm-hmm. also lost. And thirdly, uh, you have no more ammo after this, Shanahan, because uh, you've been around for as long as Dubis. A lot of this failure has fallen on your shoulders, not just his. And if you can't right the ship, you're done. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah, so so there is that, that element there that's like, oh, that's different than what we were talking about last week. Um, I still wouldn't trade Marner or Matthews. Um, I feel like those are the only two guys that you don't trade, uh, just simply because, like, Matty Kachucks don't grow in trees. And that was something that uh, Kyle Dubas said in his presser as well, is that, like, the team that eliminated him, they made the, this very bold trade, Um and that was the big difference, and we'll, we'll get into that in a second because uh, that is very true. But on the other hand, and this was what I said last week, Matty Kachuk doesn't grow on trees. Like that, like that's like a once, like it, it happened to work for the Panthers. Uh, but um, like if you like, let's say Matthews gets traded, like. You're you're not gonna find someone like Matthews again. It's it, like I can't even think of someone that you would want to do that. Having said that, Manny Kachuk wanted out of Calgary as soon as Johnny Gaudreau left. Um, so if let's say Matthews has expressed that he wants out, then yes, of course you trade him. Um, and that's the same goes with Marner um, or Nylander. Uh, but. Um, but I, I just, I, you know, I, I think, so I'm going to change my stance from that standpoint. Um, and, and that could happen now, I guess, if, if they don't get along with this GM on, uh, right away. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, I guess this is another one where it's like, we'll see what, what goes on. 
Yeah, this won't be the last time I talk about the Leafs. Oh. Like, whether you like it or not, they're going to be the talking point of this entire offseason. Yeah, yeah. They, ins- I mean, they were already a pretty interesting team in the offseason, yeah. but they're, like they're going to they're yeah. going to directly and indirectly influence what happens across the NHL, across the in- entire yeah. conference, oh, wow. and in the Atlantic Division as well. Yeah. Uh, the so the Vegas Golden Knights and the Dallas Stars were in overtime, and they just uh, the Vegas Golden Knights just scored. It's a great goal too. So. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll wow, get into so that in two, a second. So, yeah, wow, okay. Well, two, two, uh, that's interesting. So, it's one, one. both conference finals, both games oh, have right. gone to OT. Oh, yeah, good point, good point, yeah. I didn't even think of that. This yeah, Chandler so Stevenson. four games, four overtimes. Who got the, uh, so Chandler Stevenson got this goal. Um, who got the other goal? Uh, the, oh, Brett Howden, right. But Chandler Stevenson got a point there, because I was going to say that, like, Matty Kachuk got both overtime goals um, in the game one and game two, but, um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Anyways, we'll, we'll talk about those series in a, in a little bit. We also have to get into the Seattle Kraken and their obituary, because they got eliminated uh, since the last time we talked. Um, yeah, this is one of the, like, I guess this is like, you know, when we do obituaries, it's, of course, it's always sad, but this is one of the more like, like they overachieved this year. Um, they like, when I think of like, if a team was successful or a failure on a season, it's like, okay, did they, what were their expectations this year and did they achieve them? Is that a success? Cause of course like Jonas onto Kintubo. Failure is a step to success and you can't win every single year. Uh, so from this element, no one thought Seattle was going to, like, sure, people thought that Seattle was going to be better. Matty Beniers um, was going to have an impact on the team. And, uh, you know, you add in Oliver Borgstrand, you add in, um, I think they got another guy. Oh, Alex Winberg. Oh, no, wait, no, he was, he was already on the team. Um, they uh, they added another guy, I believe. But, oh, Andre Burakovsky. And um, and you're just thinking, like, okay, well, do they have the goaltending? Um, is the, like, even if they're in, are they going to be good? Uh, not only did they make the playoffs, they beat the defending Stanley Cup champions in the Colorado Avalanche um, in seven games. And then they, um, and then they give the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, they push them to, you know, Vegas is also a very good team. Uh, oh no, wait, they didn't end up playing Vegas. Uh, they ended up playing Dallas. Dallas is a very good team, and they almost won. They came so 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 close to uh, beating the Dallas Stars um, in Game Seven. They pushed them to Game Seven, and uh, and they didn't. So like. Of all the 16 teams, like, even, I, of course, the, you know, the playoffs are half over now, but um, of all the 16 teams that are in the playoffs, Seattle should be the most proud of um, of their season this year, uh, just purely because, like, they, they could have very easily had another bad year and had a potential of landing Connor Bedard, um, but uh, they were a good team. Um, and this was the, like, you know, we all thought like, you know, we compared them to Vegas. We naturally do that just because of like what Vegas was able to accomplish in their first year. And we, you know, no one was expecting like Seattle to 
make it to the Stanley Cup Finals last year. There, were, there was a, very, a lot of criticisms for how they drafted. They almost had Tarasenko. They had all these guys. But um, but now it's like, oh, like, they. I mean, we'll get into the free agents in a little bit, but um, it's like Vince Dunn, uh, he, uh, he became a guy. Uh, you have, uh, uh, I, I mean, I mentioned Oliver for Borkstrand. Uh, you also have Alex Wenberg, um, Eli Tolvanen, who they picked up on waivers. That was a nice claim. Weaver claim there. Uh, Matty Beniers was very good. Daniel Sprong, it seemed like he was almost out of the league. Then he goes into uh, Seattle, and Daniel Sprong's like, all right, actually, this is this is who I was meant to be. And he just casually scores like 20 goals on the fourth line. Um, and then, you know, you had Yanni Gord, who was underappreciated in Tampa. Jaden Schwartz, you had him. I mean, I guess they always had him. But, um, you know, you just, like, it's like, oh, this is actually not a bad team. Like, yeah, we talked about this in our playoff previews with it. It's like, yeah, there's no one that really, truly scares you on this team. But there is something to the fact that they have a ton of depth um, on their team. Like, every single night you could have someone like Jared McCann score or you could have a Daniel Sprong score or you could have this guy that no one has ever heard of except for Steve Ells- Stephen Ellsworth uh, a few years ago uh, uh, Ty Cartier and um, and yeah uh, Ty Cartier was uh, was like on the top line for Seattle and he was pretty good uh, so I think I saw this stat that he had like uh, 40 hits in that series, uh, which is crazy. So, um, so yeah, that's nuts. But um, yeah, what what do you think of the the Seattle Kraken? Seattle Kraken, I think collectively got the most out of each other. I mean, you take a look at last year, and they were in terms of shots against per game like one of the best in the league. And yet they were bottom 10 in goals allowed uh, because their goaltending wasn't good enough. And while the goaltending numbers didn't really illustrate that they were dominant between the pipes, they were better. They were no doubt better this year than they were last year. The other thing that astounds me about the Seattle Kraken is the fact that they scored 289 goals. More than the New Jersey Devils. Actually, no, not more. Same amount as the New Jersey Devils, who have guys like Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer and later Timo Meyer on their team. And I'm probably missing a bunch. But just just to focus on the headliners of that team, Seattle doesn't really have anyone close to that. The closest thing they have to that is Jared McCann. And, you know, in the future, Matt, Matty Beneers could probably be a superstar I don't know if Jack Hughes is caliber, but definitely a superstar. Yeah. Um, more goals scored than the Florida Panthers, who, as we mentioned, have guys like Alex Barkov and Carter Verhage and Matthew Kachuk and Sam Reinhardt to name a few. Uh, the Dallas Stars have Jason Robertson uh, and Rupe Hintz, who was playing out of his mind in the playoffs, uh, played great in the regular season. The ageless Joe Pavelski, uh, and so on and so on and so on, and a bunch of young guys. Um, the Seattle Kraken scored more goals than the Dallas Stars this year. 
They scored more goals than the Toronto Maple Leafs, who, as we mentioned, have so much star power. They scored more goals than the LA Kings, the Colorado Avalanche, who, granted, were injury-prone, but still, they're the Colorado frickin' Avalanche, and they're one hell of a hockey club. And they scored 15 more goals than the Avalanche did this year. The only other teams that scored more goals than the Seattle Kraken were the Edmonton Oilers with 325, and a bulk of that was on, I would call it, a historic power play. Never seen anything like it, outside of maybe the Gretzky years. And then the Boston Bruins, who got over 300 goals on the season and are arguably the best regular season team that's ever been assembled in well, NHL Well, it's not history. arguable. Literally, they are. <laughs> and then also the Buffalo Sabres. Um, they have guys like Tage Thompson and Rasmus Dallin, a bunch of young stars. They're on the up and up. But uh, they only scored four more goals than the Seattle Kraken. And uh, the Kraken uh, finished with a 46-28-8 record this year for 100 points. An improvement of 40. They had 60 last year near the bottom of the barrel in the NHL standings. And this team, without much of any superstars, with having, like, bottom 10 special teams, power play, penalty kill, whatever, bottom 10, and they're still able to get that type of result. It's insane. And, again, as we've mentioned many, many times, Brett, they did it by committee. Mm -hmm. Um, You look at their shooting percentages. Uh, For example... A guy like Jared McCann and the fact that he was able to get 40 goals this year is hella impressive. Um, He had 210 shots, the only 200-plus shot generator on the team. 19.1 shooting percentage, average 16-20 a night in 79 games. Uh, Vince Dunn had a 9.4 shooting percentage, which for a blue liner is very, very good considering blue liners, for the most part, don't get... uh, a lot of shots because most of their shots are generated from the point. He averaged 23-40, had a career season, and he got 14 goals from the blue line. Jordan Eberle had 20 goals, 177 shots. Again, shooting percentage above 10%. Um, you look at a guy like Matty Beniers in his rookie year, 16.2 shooting percentage. Um, he is easily going to hit 30 to 40 goals a season uh, in his prime, easily. Uh, Yanni Gord. Uh, took 141 shots, scored on 14 of them, just under 10%. Daniel Sprong, we mentioned depth scoring, 46 points, 21 goals. He had 147 shots on the year, only averaged 11.25, Brett, and his shooting percentage was 14.3% on the season. Oliver Bjorkstrand, pretty snake-bitten, just under 200 shots, only scored on 20 of them. But still had a 10.1 shooting percentage, I think, uh, in theory, if you give him uh, another year in Seattle, he's really going to pop off. It, it's going to happen. Uh, Jaden Schwartz, 21 goals, took 167 shots. He had a 12.6 shooting percentage. Andre Burakovsky missed the entire playoffs and the final two to three months of the regular season. Still had a 12.4 shooting percentage, 13 goals in 49 games and was their top scorer at the time of his injury. Uh, you have 13 goals from Alex Wenberg. He has a 12.9 shooting percentage. Pretty pretty crazy for a depth guy. And he even gets 16 goals out of Brandon Tanev, 13.9 shooting percentage from him. Um, Ely Tolbinen, 16 goals in 48 games for the team, yeah. 16.5 shooting percentage. You get the point. You're you're getting a lot of offense from a lot of different guys on, on that team. 
And I think the way they were able to bond as a unit in particular is is a testament to the character that they've that they've built in that locker room. Uh, and in the playoffs, in the playoffs, it continued for them as well. Uh, if you look at the amount of double-digit point getters, there are only four of them. Danny Gore, Jordan Eberle, Jaden Schwartz, and Justin Schultz. Justin Schultz had 10 points in 14 games. Good God, I just realized. <laughs> and his shooting percentage was 20. It's crazy. Um, you look at guys like Matty Beniers, who was half a point a game in this postseason. Vince Dunn. Again, half a point a game this postseason. He was their top defenseman. Uh, Ty Cardi, five points in 10 games, as you mentioned, Brett. And he's also a power play marksman in the OHL. So when, once he gets PP1 minutes as well, I think you're really going to start to see him go off. Yeah. And the, the lot of young guys that we haven't really seen, Riker Evans, who is having a killer AHL campaign. Tucker Robertson, who is being absolute force on the Peterborough Peets in the OHL during their run to the finals. This season, he uh, was shy of 100 points in the OHL. Um, you look at Shane Wright, obviously, the hype around him. Uh, this year was a learning curve for him, but he's going to get better. He's going to be the player that they're looking for. And Ty Nelson on the back end, need I say more, his yep. two seasons with OHL North Bay have been fantastic. And Logan Morrison, a solid two-way forward as well. As more of these young guys start to come in, and you're able to see what this team is capable of with their young talent. Um, the sky is the limit for this team. I'm really, really proud of how they were able to just go into their first playoff series against a team that's been there, done that, just the season prior. And they're going into that tough Colorado building four times, and they win three of those games. And then against Dallas, they're able to pick apart that defense and Jake Ettinger and just start sniping like like they've done it a million times before. Like, they fit right into the playoff mold. They've been to two game sevens already. They won the first one. They barely lost the second by a goal, and they never quit throughout all of that. They're just a great bounce-back team. I really hope this isn't a fluke, and they are this good moving forward. There's a lot to build on here. And um, if if I'm Seattle, I'm I'm very happy with with how things ended, even though um, they're not playing hockey until October. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you kind of just ran through the the list of guys here. Um, in terms of their off season, um, yeah, they 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 kind of. I mean, it's other than Vince Dunn, who they should sign. Um, I I was looking here. He had the second most points um, out of anyone on Seattle, so that was that's really good. I think we all knew that he was going to be good because uh, he was good in St. Yeah. Louis, um, and you know that was the, he just the, wouldn't get the ice time there. That's yeah, that's yeah. why. And we yeah we we kind of figured that. I mean I think there were some like uh, people who thought that like oh Seattle should have picked uh, uh, Tarasenko. Um, instead, and I guess you could have made some case of that, but like Tarasenko had injury concerns at the time, and um, and all that stuff. But yeah, uh, Vince Dunn has of course been very very good, and and Dunn is a lot younger than Tarasenko is uh, as well. Um, but yeah, I I think there is like, you know, as I just mentioned, I think it's like it's more like oh they they get Burakovsky, they get Upward Strand, they pick up Eli Tolvanen. They drafted really, really well, and it's like, so this year was basically what 
we all expected them last year because of what happened to Vegas. So, um, so yeah, there, there is something to that. Um, so I will go through this here. Uh, so in terms of RFAs, they have Morgan Geeky, uh, Daniel Sprong, Vince Dunn, uh, William Borgen, and Kale Flurry. Um, in terms of UFAs, you have Ryan Donato, uh, Carson Soucy, and Martin Jones, um, as well as uh, Junis Donskoy and John Hayden. Um, I mean, Martin Jones actually improved a lot this year, but I feel like you could afford to let him go. Uh, they do have... Oh, they don't have a ton of cap space. I thought they did, but... Um, hold on. I mean... Oh, they have 20 see, million. The funny thing about that is... They do have twenty million in cap space. However, it's like Vince like the only guys that they probably should sign is Daniel Sprong and Vince Dunn. And both those guys are RFAs. Yeah. So like those guys get significantly paid less than what they usually do. That's just how it works. So it's like, alright, they're in decent shape and they have a decent enough room to like go out and get get a big free agent, especially after their playoffs this year. It kind of reminds me of, like, when the yep. Golden Knights... Or, made... or make a big trade as well. Yeah. Like, the trade market's going to be insane this summer, Brett, and yeah, they could true. really take advantage of that. Yeah. And, they were, and the reason they didn't make a trade at the trade deadline is because they expected Burkowski was going to be back for the playoffs, which yeah. obviously didn't happen. That's true. Uh, but, but now they have the freedom to do whatever they want with that cap space, with that leverage. Yeah, yeah. And it's it kind of reminds me uh, back when... Um, when uh, so after this, the Stanley Cup Finals appearance from the Vegas Golden Knights in 2018, and then the next year they're like, oh, we're a good team. And like a lot of players took notice, and Max Pacioretty, they go out and get Max Pacioretty. Of course, they regret that trade now because uh, the, the person they traded was, uh, was uh, um, Nick Suzuki. But, um, but yeah. The yeah thing so you hear that, CL? Do not trade Shane Wright for a veteran. I don't care how good that yeah. veteran is. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a good point, uh, but um, but it's also it's not like Max Pacioretty was was done. But you know there 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 is something to the fact that like okay Jack like it intrigued Jack Eichel, it intrigued Robin Leonard, it intrigued Alex Petrangelo. Um, so uh, the same thing could happen here, um, where where it's like this run can help, st- like get people like players, um, more players who are good and be like you know what i like what the seattle kraken are doing i can be that guy because that was the biggest thing is that they don't have that guy many veneers could end up being that guy shane wright could end up being that guy but we don't know that just yet and even if that is the case it's like they're gonna need a supporting cast so you go out and get someone who can help those two guys in particular um yeah, so, and, and yeah. the good news is they've kind of established a good supporting cast already. Yeah, and true. if you need to move things around, move some pieces out, that's fine. Yeah. But but you know you know what you have out of this group as a whole, thanks to yeah. this tremendous season. You know everyone's weak points now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, weak points and strengths, I should say, mostly strengths. But yeah. Yep, yep. Um, all right, let's go to the conference finals updates now. Um, yeah, you want you want to go to uh, the mouth guard and see what he's doing, or do you want to go to the Western final instead? <laughs> I don't have have you like I I can now say this because like ever since I brought it up, because because now it's been like maybe like two or three weeks. 
Like, have you noticed this? And does it bother you now? Like, it, it bothers me every time I see it. No, it doesn't. I just find it hilarious. That's that's all. I I I, I think a more catchier name for Maddie Kachuk would be Maddie TKO, because ah, Kachuk starts like with that. TK, like yeah. and TKO is pretty catchy because he's just killing it right now. I like that. Um, yeah. So yeah. I think that'd be yeah. a more hip name than Mr. Mouthguard, but I, I'm fine with either or. <laughs> well, you just made up both nicknames. Like I didn't. <laughs> just... <laughs> also, I will, I will, I will say because I love Steph Curry. He also does the same thing with his mouthguard, and I hate that too. But, um, <laughs> um, but anyways, um, so yeah, I guess we'll start off with Carolina, Florida. By the way, I forgot we forgot to mention a couple of like little tidbits here. We forgot to do like what series is this? Uh, this is actually the Eric Stahl, uh, Jordan Stahl, Mark Stahl series, the Stahl brothers series. Uh, there's that. Also, the fact that yep. um, if you uh, ask any Finland person uh, who are the most like recognizable Finnish active players right now. They would say either Alex Barkov or Sebastian Ajo. Those happen to be the two best players on both teams. Uh, so it's it's basically the Finland series as well. Um, well, they also have uh, Hockeyniemi and Tara Vainen yeah. on uh, Carolina yeah, as Carolina well. Is... And I think on Florida, is, Julio... I think Itu Lu- Luo Sturinen, I think he's finished Yeah, too. yeah, good point. Um, Anton Lundell. Um, yeah, and Angie uh, Ranta, I think, is also finished. Yeah, I was about to mention Ranta too. But yeah. Yeah, so yeah, no, no, yeah. the Finland series of uh, that might be my favorite line. But. Yeah, yeah, this is like the Finland series, yeah. Um yeah, I, so in one of my leagues we have someone who uh who who lives in Finland and that's why he loves hockey. Uh he's a big Florida Panthers guy. Uh he also loves Columbus because of Line A, but um and uh Kekalainen, Yarmo Kekalainen, but um but yeah, he was uh uh, so I asked him like, oh, so are you like, are you rooting for Sebastian Ajo's team or Alex Barkov's team? And of course he was rooting for Florida. Cause I, I guess he, you know, he was, he was trash talking me during the Boston Florida series. So, um, he, he was, he was pretty much, uh, yeah, he's rooting for Florida, but I, I find it interesting too. Also we'll get into it, but Dallas has Miro Heiskanen. So it's like the three biggest Finland guys are all still in the playoffs? I guess minus Patrick Laine, but I, I think uh, all those three guys are are better than Patrick. Well, Lindell and Hockenpah in Dallas are also finished. I yeah, know they're not yeah, big true. names, but I wonder if there is something to that. Now. Parts of that defense. I wonder if there is something to that. Now that I think about it, it's like if you have a. Rupe Hints is also finished. Oh my god! Oh, is Hints finished? Oh, I didn't even realize. Yeah, he that. is. I'm pretty sure Hints is finished. Yeah. I thought he there are was... a lot of there are a lot of Finnish players. Like you might as well just take over the NHL at this point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's possible. Um, I mean, yeah, this is an off-season topic, but I was just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Rupe Hintz confirmed he's from Finland. Okay, interesting. From Tampere. I guess I wasn't yeah. really sure. Like I, I obviously I figured he was European, but I, I didn't even like figure out. Like yeah, I guess that makes sense. Rupe is, sounds. Joel Kivi Ranta also Finnish. Yep, yep, makes sense. Anyways, <laughs> getting back on topic. I thought it was kind of exciting yeah, that... Back, the, back to the history lesson. Well, I thought it was kind of exciting that the Stahl brothers are facing off each, against each other. Uh, yeah. Perhaps for the last yeah, time. It's, it's the Thunder Bay series or the Finnish series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, perhaps for the last time, because I can't see Eric Stahl playing another year. Uh, but um, Yeah, 
Uh, but uh, but it's, it is kind of cool. It's like, oh, it's like Jordan Stahl against his brothers. Um, well, the other thing I, I think, um, yeah, Jordan Stahl, his contract expires with Carolina too. So Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, it, it, could, it has... could be a very different NHL landscape uh, f- as far as the Stahl brothers go next year. Yeah, I mean, but Jordan Stahl still has some left in the tank. You know, it's like uh, no. But, I just mean like where, where, what teams they're playing on. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I just like all three of them retire. I, I thought you Although were alluding Stoll to that. Although still is thirty four yeah. though. Yeah, but I thought you were alluding more to to that. But yes, I mean, I guess it is possible yeah. that Jordan no, Salk could retire too. But yeah, we'll see. Anyways, uh, <laughs> going back to this. Uh, so the first game uh, was uh, was very. It, it was very good, um, or I guess very long, I should say, uh, because it went to quadruple overtime, um, and of course it goes. Um, actually, I, we could we could afford to like do like a little box score recap here. Um, so it turned into. Um, yeah, so it was uh, Seth Jarvis gets a goal in the first period. Then you had Alex Barkov scoring, Carter Verhage scoring in the second period. Um, and then in the third period, you have Stefan Nason uh, score in the third period. Uh, there was some controversy um, there in the first overtime uh, where it yeah. looked like Ryan Lumberg scored. Um, and then they did a replay and it looked like there was goalie interference and that was the right call there should have that should have been called um what was funny I think the though, reason why maurice was upset is because the call on the ice was a goal yeah and you need conclusive evidence to overturn the call on the ice so he was probably peeved that maybe they he felt they didn't have enough evidence to overturn yeah. it and the call should have stood and i mean it, it was like i could i could see it going either way um but i i think i, it was I do think the right call was made i'm not questioning yeah. the call i'm just ju- i'm yeah. just trying to justify why maurice oh, yeah, was yeah, probably yeah. pissed on the bench Fair, when yeah the yeah, call yeah, was yeah made. good point um yeah that's that's a good point i guess it's more like yeah i can see that it's just more of uh I, I felt like it's the right call, and it ended up not mattering because Florida Panthers ended up scoring. But it was uh, in the last seconds of quadruple overtime, and none other than Maddie. I can't stop chewing on this mouth guard um, just to annoy this random guy in Boston, um, <laughs> Maddie Kachuk. Um, is who I'm talking about. You think it's like his? Uh, there's been a point when his mouth guard, he just likes like it just drops on the ice because it's like he 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 does it during the game too. It's crazy. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> hey, he got a hundred plus points and he could be a, a future MVP. Oh no, uh, he's winner. incredible. So you do you, Maddie. Whatever works, man. No, no, he's incredible. I'm just I'm just saying that it's like. He's, uh, yeah, he's really good. I was actually thinking about this yeah. the other day. I'm, uh, I'm getting a little sidetracked, but it's still related to, to hockey. But I was thinking about, yeah. like, there's only been, in terms of Bruins' playoff history, there's been a lot of goalies that have uh, directly, like, uh, like, have definitely, like, if they weren't that hot at a certain amount of time during that point, they would definitely, you know, they... Uh, they definitely 
made the Bruins lose. There's only been two times where Skater has um, has changed what uh, like has uh, like won the series for uh, against the Bruins, and that is Eric Carlson um, in 2020. Oh, no, it wasn't 2020. It was 2018. Um, 2017. Was it 2017? I thought it was 2018 for some reason, but okay. No, Ottawa didn't know. make the playoffs, if that's what you're wondering. Oh, that's right, 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 yeah. No, that makes sense, yeah. That was when things started to fall apart That's right, right. But, like... The year and, before was... And, and, and not only that, but he did that on a broken ankle. Um, yes. Broken <laughs> foot, broken ankle, either way, yeah, superhuman. Yeah. And then in uh and then yeah, Maddie Kachuk um and his mouth guard ways. Uh so it's like <laughs> all right. Okay. Maddie Kachuk is a like is a different breed, man. Um But yeah, this was uh it was it was one of those games where like I mean of, of course it's it's an historic uh game. We'll think like when we think back to these playoffs, it's like remember when Carolina and Florida had that quadruple overtime game? Um, like I'll always remember it because it's the first game like that where because usually for sudden death I just stay up, um, but that was the first game because I was tired that day. I couldn't stay up. <laughs> I, I stayed I stayed till triple overtime to to my credit, but uh, I just couldn't stay up till longer at that point. It was like two p. Yeah, two it, was, in the it was just before two a.m. Ottawa yeah. time when it ended, and we're in the same time zone. Yep. Um, Ottawa and Boston. I was about is. to say, and... like, who calls it Ottawa time? <laughs> but... <laughs> I do. Uh, and um, it's a six. I think you said six yeah. longest game ever played in yep. NHL history. It was crazy. Um, and um, and yeah, I guess the last time that there was a long one that was a uh, Columbus and oh no wait oh uh, it wasn't uh, Bobrovsky yeah. though I was gonna say it was like no uh, was... Corpusalo and Vasilevsky yeah, yeah. were the so I do, I do remember yeah. Corpusalo was unreal during that game and he ended up losing yeah but... no he was uh, the shot total in that game was but, much higher than but, yeah. this one but Bob but but but, uh, but Bobrovsky was not on that team. Um, I should, on that note, uh, Bobrovsky has been very good. Uh, it's back to, like... He has. Uh, to what I'll, 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 I'll admit, of him. He, he's, he's turning back the clock. Like, yeah. he's 27... Uh, 2018 old B, yeah. 2020 Hugh Doman, just playing out of his mind brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he always... Like, he was he was great um, in Columbus during the playoffs. It seems, like, you know... Yep. I guess last year he wasn't so great, of course, but... Um, it seems like he always like figured like he like during the playoffs for some reason he just turns into an extra case. You could say he's back on the force, um, <laughs> back on the case. I, I, I think right? Bobrovsky in the past couple of playoffs has been ordinary. Yeah, but he hasn't risen to the occasion and like gotten that extra gear. This year, I feel like he has achieved that. I don't know. I feel like the well. There was that. I, I'm thinking some more, of the saves that he's made in the first two games have been ridiculous. Yeah, that's true. I was thinking like there was a point. Like I'm speaking in particular when he swept the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, you're right. He has been on like even a bigger level, and he has a Vezina, so it's like yeah, this is his best hockey, and so it's like another level from that, which is impressive. Um, yeah, his best hockey since he's left Columbus for sure. And what's funny is, is that like the Panthers started their playoffs with uh, Alex Lyon, <laughs> so uh, yep. 
so it, it just it just took Alex lying to stop uh, or turn back into a pumpkin in order for Bobrovsky to get back. And you know what? To be fair, uh, Lyon did his part. He got the Panthers yeah. to the playoffs. He did his job. Yeah, there's nothing um, against but that. But yeah. when, when the team needed Bobrovsky, he, he was ready. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, now we go to, uh, unless you have more thoughts on that game one, I was going to go to game two. I I mean, just, just when you look at the mentality of losing a lengthy overtime game like that. Um, I think if if you're if you're the team that loses that game, you need to instantly get the momentum back and really take the play to the other team because after a demoralizing victory like that, where it feels like you're doing everything you can to get the winner, and it feels like that's inevitable, and then you lose. Um, I, I feel like just for a mental hurdle, especially at home ice, if you're Carolina, you need to take the momentum right back. And as we saw in game two, well, at the start, they definitely took the momentum. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. It was, it was interesting too, just cause like, like, I, I feel like, like, I can't imagine fans like, like going to a game like that. Um, because like there, it was it was also impressive. I have to give it credit to the Carolina fans there because there was still like yeah, it was like half empty because it was also like two p two in the morning, uh, Carolina time, um, and uh, for them. But it was just like you know you could see them like standing every now and then, like, even when it was very late, and I'm sure not a lot of fans, like, there was, yeah, there were still some empty seats there at the end there, but it's like, you can't even really blame them at that point, um, and it's like, oh, like, you know, like, it's just, like, they were still in support there, but, um, also, it was kind of funny how, uh, because in the intermission in, uh, in the U.S., it was the TNT crew, and they have Wayne Gretzky, Henrik Lundqvist, Paul Bizanet, um, and Anson Carter, and, um, it was interesting, too, because you could feel that, like, even those guys were getting a little bit loopy and a little bit crazy during the intermissions, and I kind of, I kind of wanted to stay up just so I could watch them get more and more crazy, because you, you're never gonna see here Mr. Perfect Hendrik Lundqvist and the great one, Wayne Gretzky, like, be, like, very loopy, but, um, but, like, Wayne Gretzky admitted that he used to eat pizza during these types of games when there were long overtime games. And Henrik Lundqvist was saying that, like, because of the goalie pads and, like, the sweat that happens in your, um, during these games, like, that compile, like, he was, like, whenever he was, like, skating around, going back to the ice during these intermissions, like, he was basically lugging, like, 30 pounds and he could barely feel his feet at times. <laughs> so it's just like, it's like, so then that just put into perspective of like, these were like, these are two of like, obviously the the greatest players to play the game, of course. But it's just incredible that like, it's like you don't even really think of that from that perspective, the, the player's perspective of like, they, um, they're, they're equally as tired as well. They just need to like, eat pizza or they need to eat like a protein bar during during intermissions just to just to get them psyched again but um anyways um 
let's go to game two. Um, the this also turned into overtime. Uh, it started off though with the first period where Jalen Chatfield scores, and then um, and then Alex Barkov scores in the second period. There were no goals in the third. By the period. way, that Barkov goal was freaking oh, yeah. nuts. Yeah, like even he, the Hurricanes Twitter applauded. Oh yeah, yeah, he was. It was nuts. Yeah, it was like uh, between the legs. Um, yeah, it was very, very nice. Probably the Between most... Between the legs, then he put it back through his legs, yeah. and then he went to, like, his four-inner backhand, yeah. and then just outweighted Ranta and slid it in. I, I think he learned from Matty Kachuk, because Matty Kachuk had that. <laughs> he might have, yeah. yeah. Um, He's also a pretty good series. specialist in shootouts, too, so I, yeah. that's probably a shootout move that he just well, felt, ah, good time to use it. What's interesting about Barkov, or at least in, like, the, the first two series he's been he was pretty quiet um and um or for his standards um but yeah he had a goal in game one he had a goal in game two so he's it's it's like oh now watch out because it's like not only do you have to be worried about Matthew Kachuk and Carter Verhage and Sam Reinhardt and Sam Bennett but now you we've woken up Alex Barkov it's like all right (laughs) like the Panthers and and it should be noted before this goal happened um and, and this was in the second period, so yeah. the Hurricanes were up one nothing, But the shots were 20-12 to 12 for Carolina after – or 20-11 to 11 for Carolina after that first period. At one point in the first period, it was 16-1. to 1. So, again, I go back to Bobrovsky sta- standing on his head and giving the Panthers um, above-average goaltending – the kind of goaltending you need to win in this in, in this playoff environment. Um, it, it all goes back to Bobrovsky holding down the fort, allowing Florida to get themselves back into the game, and they did that early in the second period. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, sorry, I just got I just got a message in a chat here. Um, yeah, so uh, this was also so this also this game. Uh, this game also went into overtime, and who else but Matty Kachuk and his, um, this is like deja vu again, it's like his uh, his mouth guard, uh, he scores um, in overtime. So, you know, as a Bruins fan, of course, I, I'm still disappointed that the Bruins weren't able to get this far, but it is nice seeing that the Bruins aren't the only franchise that have to deal with Matty Kachuk. Um, and, um, it's like, oh, right, right. Matty Kachuk, he, uh, he's, he's really good. Um, <clears throat> so there's that, um, and Florida's up to nothing. Um, something going on with my voice, I feels like, uh, but, uh, yeah, so we'll see. Um, I, yeah, I, and, and Florida won both these games on the road too. Um, so, so, which is more impressive, and we'll get into Vegas because those were both home games that they won. But, um, but yeah, it's you know Carolina's in trouble, um, and because that's that's always been the thing, right? Where like if the it's really it starts being a series once the away team wins, and um, and now this has happened twice. So, yeah, Carolina's in trouble. I I feel like Carolina will uh, win. Um, a few more games and make this into a series, but um, but yeah, there, there's definitely a chance that their injuries to Sveshnikov and Pacioretty are going to come back to them, and um, 
and we're seeing it now. But, um, but of course, Florida deserves all the credit. It's not just that. Like, even if they had Sveshnikov, Florida's a very good team. So, um, who who knows how much of a difference it would have made? I have plenty of faith in Carolina heading into this <clears throat> series, and um, even though I still have faith that maybe they could come back i am changing my prediction and i think florida is going to the finals i mean you win two nearly close games in their barn like that um it's it's quite the gut punch and heading into this series uh both of these series actually but especially this one um coaching was going to be a deciding factor and paul maurice uh, knows how to get his team prepared. He's been around the bend for a couple decades now, and he knows what works and what doesn't work in the playoffs. It worked for Carolina in 2002 when he was coaching them. It worked for Carolina in 2009 when he was coaching them. And so far, it's worked for the Florida Panthers this year. Uh, and he previously took the Jets to the conference finals back in 2018 as well. So he had a good run in Winnipeg there as well with that group. And... um I think Brendan Moore's ability to adapt to whatever it is that Maurice is doing is going to be key here. Um, And just to quickly rhyme through Florida's clutchness, they have won eight straight games on the road. And uh, Sportsnet had a graphic on their morning pack this morning. And it listed, I think, eight or nine teams, um, the longest road winning streaks in a single playoff. And out of the teams on that list, the only one to not win the Stanley Cup the year that they did that was the 1999 Colorado Avalanche, who lost in the conference finals to Dallas. So, um, in theory, I think that is a good omen for Florida in terms of winning the Stanley Cup um, because they've won eight in a row. And... Uh, only one other team on that list has not won the cup after doing that. So that's good. Um, six of their wins have come in overtime, by the way. And uh, three of them have been scored by Maddie Kachuk. Of course, game five with Florida season on the line against Boston. Sorry to add uh, salt to the wound there. There was also the Verhage goal that won the series. Yes. Uh, in Toronto, there was the... Um, there was the Sam Reinhardt goal uh, in Game 3, and there was the Nick Cousins goal in Game 5 that ended the series. And then in both games, uh, overtime is needed, and Kachuk takes it home in both. And his three overtime winners, I think, put him in a tie for the most in a playoff in NHL history in the company of the likes of Corey Perry and Rocket Richard, wow. which... Yeah, to be in the same company as Rocket Richard, like holy cow, um, that's that's a new level of clutch uh, for Matthew Kachuk, and he's he's turning into this big game, big moment player. At at a t- at around this time last year, we were thinking, hey, if Matthew Kachuk were to move on from the Calgary Flames, well, how much of this success was due to Johnny Gaudreau, and how much of it was just Matty Kachuk being Matty Kachuk and just being really really good. He, he's proving that he doesn't need Johnny Gaudreau to take it to the next level. And um, as we're going to talk about next week when we talk about the awards, um, the media has taken notice of how good he is as well. And yeah. uh, 
while I don't think he's MVP caliber yet, he's definitely well on his way in a couple of years to win an MVP award. I 100% believe that. Well, I feel like you could say that about any player that's not named Connor McDavid in this this era. <laughs> but Well, uh, that's that's the only thing getting in his way, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we had plan like, you know, this was a, a large reason, I guess I can spoil this now, because I had this idea of having, like... Uh, we should, uh, for the off season as one of our episodes, to talk about who is the best player. Like, how do we tier the like, the 20 best players yeah. in the league? And we're 100% doing that. I love that idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, a big reason why I was doing that is because Matty Kachuk is making a strong case that he should be on that tier just below Connor McDavid. I think I mentioned this during the Boston series that, like, Matty Kachuk is that guy. Um, and yeah, he did get it. I mean, we'll also talk about the award stuff, um, in a, in the coming weeks, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things that like when he, um, you know, it makes sense. Cause it's like, yeah, obviously you have to get McDavid in obviously Pasternak's in as well. And then it's like the, the other guys, it's like, all right, may, I don't know who else you would put in. It makes sense that it would be Matty Kachuk because he proved that last season wasn't a fluke on Calgary. Uh, it's different from a new team. That's that's tough already. Um, there was like a controversial trade there. He lived up to the expectations. Like yeah, of course he what he wasn't on the Boston Bruins. He wasn't on the Edmonton Oilers, who are the two hottest teams this year. But he was also. Um, you know, the Florida Panthers were in the playoffs largely because of him. Um, and he had 100 points this year. Uh, so even, like, though, his, like, we're now paying attention to him during the playoffs, and rightfully so, it's like, yeah, he was very good in the regular season. He's been good the last two years. Like, there's a reason why Florida went out and traded the, their, like, fr like a franchise milestone guy in uh, Jonathan Huberdo plus Mackenzie Weger, plus a first-round pick for this guy. And, um, and um, yeah, it's paying off for them in, in dividends. Um, and it could lead How to them. How relieved do you think them. the Florida Panthers are, by the way? Just It's just like, man, we trade all these first-round yeah. picks. I'm just glad they might not be good for the teams that we're yeah. going to be trading them well, to. Well, what's even it's funny? just like, yeah. hey, we're, we're winning in the playoffs now. Maybe, yeah. maybe this is... You know, yeah. that team, that team we were hoping to see, and yeah. it's just going to continue in the well, next year. Well, what's funny is I, I remember this week I was looking at, because I was just curious where, like, the draft order was going to go, and I wanted to see where Seattle was picking in particular. And um, and just, like, and I saw on Cap Friendly, like, oh, right, Montreal has Florida's pick this year. That almost happened where, like, Montreal had two shots to get the lottery because, like, Florida wasn't there. But it's like, yeah, like, and, and this is, like, what this is why Kyle Dubas was saying is, like, all right, Florida, like, made this risk. And, it like, the guy who, be, the, the team that beat us, like, that's what we should be doing. And I, I'm sure a lot of teams are taking note, like, you know, like, oh, okay, like, we shouldn't be afraid of trading, like, a cornerstone guy like Huberto um, in order to get someone that's going to help, like, re reshape our team. And it makes a lot of sense, like, as good as Jonathan Huberto is, like, 
he I, I do remember that there was like reports last year where he went to like a strip club uh before the game clinching games and a couple of like Florida Panthers guys it's like that's not who you want in your culture and it's like as good as Jonathan Huberto is I know he she struggled this year in Calgary but I still I, I think he might bounce back um it's like he's he's primarily a playmaker He's not really necessarily like the guy that can get in your face um, and uh, and all that stuff. And it, you know that, that's fine. Uh, and not every player is. You need to have like that Brad Marchand type type instinct, and that's what Matty Kachuk has, and and that's why he's yeah, a rare. Yeah, he has that you know. it factor. Exactly. You don't you don't know exactly. You can't pinpoint yeah. it. You know it when you see it. Yeah. Brady has it. Matty a hundred percent has it, and he's flexing it all playoffs. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's it's funny though, because like you you probably thought I was crazy when I was saying like yeah he's like the second best player behind McDavid, and it's like yeah he like after watching that. You Boston definitely make first, the argument. Yeah. No doubt about that. After this playoff. Um, but like it, it is kind of funny though, because we were just talking about like Arizona, um, and all that stuff, but like you know they don't have. Florida doesn't necessarily, like, obviously they've been a good team for a while now, but uh, they don't necessarily have, like, the public pressure anymore, but um, as much as, like, Boston or Toronto do. But it is kind of funny that it just takes, like, people to watch him play against the Bruins and play against the Toronto Maple Leafs for people to be like, oh, Manny Kachuk, he's good. <laughs> it's like, like yeah, even, and I mean, yeah. like if the and he Florida played for Panthers, Calgary last year. That's another Canadian team. Like you know, like yeah, of course, Manny Kachuk's pretty good. And the thing about the Florida Panthers is like, um, you're not going to have an opportunity to discount yeah. what they did because they went through and came back from a three-one deficit against the best regular season team ever assembled. Thank they you. beat no the Toronto argument. Maple Leafs, who no had been historically good in the regular season. And then they go up against a Carolina team that you can barely get anything against. And they take them to five overtimes in a span of two games, and Four you win times. both games. Yeah, yeah. And if you get past Carolina, you're going to have to get past one of Dallas or Vegas to win the Cup. Yeah. So, like, you're getting Possible. quality opponents here. Yeah. Like, cream of the crop talent. And if you're able to stand at the top of the hockey world at the end of it, like man, like you can't you can't say uh, no other opposing fan can say, oh, it's a cakewalk. You guys got lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, Florida, Florida's earning every ounce of praise they're getting right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, there were two reasons why I was on Florida and thought that they could beat Toronto after watching that Boston series because it made me realize after watching those seven games against Boston. That, like, yeah, in the regular season, it's probably not great to, like, you know, have a bunch of physical guys. They're not as fast. But, but like, this team is built for the playoffs. Because they have a, like, it's not just Matty Kachuk. There's, like, um, uh, uh, we, we talked about Radko Gudis. We talked about um, Sam Bennett. Like, they have that extra layer where they can, like, intimidate you as well as score goals or you know help out with like <laughs> with uh defending and all that stuff um and then it's like not to mention you have sam reinhardt who's really good you have carter verhage who's really good you have aaron ekblad who's really good brandon montour who's really good and then i didn't even mention alex barkov he's 
he's been quiet these past two rounds, and now he's getting going. It's like, all right, now, now the Panthers like, and they were good. Panthers were won the President's Trophy last year. This team is built for the playoffs now, and yeah, they're they're a good team. Um, so you just have to respect them here. All right, let's go to the next series here. Uh, the Dallas Stars play the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, this game, uh, we alluded to this, but it went to overtime. Um, oh, I'm looking at the game two box scores. Um, give me one second. All right, now we're back to game one here. Um, so Jason Robertson, speaking of being quiet, Jason Robertson scores uh, a goal. This was his third goal in the playoffs. Um, I guess he, he did have another goal this this year, but um, but yeah. So uh, Jason Robertson has that. Then you had uh, uh, so that was the only goal there. Then he had William Carlson uh, become the only goal in the second period, um, and then you had uh, and then you had a slew of goals here in the third period. It was pretty wild. William Carlson scores again. Then he got Rupe Hints in like a, a couple minutes later, uh, and then yeah, this Teddy Bluger goal, which was kind of controversial to me because I thought. Similarly, like that Ryan Lomberg goal that got called back. I thought this goal was going to be called back because it was definite. Like what, what it was, I forget which player it was, but I think the way they justified it was that there was like, uh, like a a goal a Dallas Stars guy knocks into Aiden Hill. Oh, sorry, Jake Edinger, and um, but like you can make the case that like the Golden Knights guy. Or like the stars guy pushed him into the the goalie, um, but like it was definitely like you could see that like Aiden Hill like couldn't see the puck, and it definitely was interference. Um, so it, like it was iffy, but like it was it was even worse than the interference in the Florida Panthers game one game. Um, I well, I mean, it, it's it's like if if you're the enemy guy and you get pushed in to True. the enemy's goaltender by one of the enemy players, yeah. what can you do? Yeah, like, but you like, got pushed into it. That's a different story. True, but it's like, what can Jake Edinger do? Like, he was clearly affected by that. Like, yes, I know that like yep. the Stars guy like knocked him in into him, but like that's still goalie interference. <laughs> it's like. It wasn't like the who the stars defenseman I, I I'm blanking on the name or whatever like had like and intended that to happen but like it's like it was definitely goalie interference I I felt bad for that um, but anyways Jamie Ben scores a little bit later and I was um, towards the end of the third period uh, to tie things up. And I was thinking, like, all right, at least, like, that wasn't the deciding goal At least there. they won't lose on that, right? Exactly. Yeah, it, that goal is washed. But I would argue that they wouldn't even, like, have... I, I guess it would have been 2-2, so who knows. But, um, or I don't know, maybe, like, Jamie Benn would have scored regardless. But um, who knows? I guess it's, like, a, a reality that we'll never experience. But, um, but yeah, Brett Howden scores in overtime. This time, not quadruple overtime, but he scored pretty quickly uh, into that overtime. Um, and there we go. Um, 
it was a nice goal too. Um, I will I will give them that. Yeah, it was it was a bang shot off of yeah. Ottinger who couldn't do anything. It yeah, was yeah. it was just a sick play. Yeah, there was no complaints there. Also, I noticed a lot of bang shots. There was one uh, where it went off the boards, and then a guy was waiting at the side of the net and just uh, teed one up and beat Ottinger. I'm curious if that if that's something that Vegas is maybe going to try to use to yeah. their advantage in this series because um, bang shots off the boards, you know, off Ottinger's leg or back or whatever. Um, I kind of feel like if you get him moving around and like out of position or whatever, or you get him moving lateral, um, maybe that's how you start uh, to get results going in. So I'm I'm wondering uh, if Vegas is going to utilize that as as part of their offense and. I mentioned heading into the series again. Coaching is going to be pivotal, um, and there and uh, Peter DeBoer needs to win the coaching battle against Cassidy because uh, in series uh, with other teams where they've eventually fallen, he got out coached in in the final round uh, before his team was eliminated. So uh, that can't happen this time. Peter DeBoer has got to be the better coach here. And in game one, Cassidy made the adjustments, I would argue, better than DeBoer did and uh, advantage Vegas going into game two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, full disclosure here, uh, this game uh, was is has been played, this next game, game two, uh, was being played while we were recording, so we didn't really watch. I, I was paying attention to the overtime, and I, I mentioned this if you were listening early on in this episode. Uh, so I did watch the overtime goal, but we I wasn't paying real attention to this. So um, I will tell you guys who scored um, and, and, and do that, but I don't think either me or Steve can really give any analysts on this game since we weren't watching. Um, but uh, Miro Heiskanen uh, scores in the first period, and then he got Mark Stone uh, to tie things up in the first. Uh, then in the second period, Jason Robertson, who had, it looks, it's nice to see that he's, uh, he's showing up on the score sheet. He was pretty quiet in the last series. So, um, it's nice to see that he's, um, waking up a little bit. I didn't realize Iskin, and despite his solid playoffs, I didn't realize he hadn't scored up until that point. Well, well, first off, he's a defenseman, so they, they don't usually score a lot of goals, but you also... You also remember that he got like clipped a little bit in one of the uh, games against True. Seattle. So it's like, who knows if he's a hundred percent even. Um, but yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a good point. Um, third period, uh, Steve's favorite Vegas player. Cause he has him on his team. Jonathan marches. So scores in the third period, uh, with assists from Jack Eichel and Ivan Barbashev. And then overtime yeah. happens. You notice that Carlson and uh, Marcheseau have been really turning it up. Uh, yeah, like towards the tail end of uh, um, their second round series and the start yeah. of the series too. Well, William uh, Carlson had a, quiet before that. Carlson had a pretty good first round too, but yeah, he was he was kind of quiet yeah. in the in the regular season for sure. Um, and then in overtime, um, this it was a nice goal because I was watching when that happened. But this was another OT game that ended very quickly. Uh, Chandler Stevenson scores, um, and Shea Theodore and Mark Stone get the assist there. Um, so yeah, both games ended before the two-minute in mark as well. Yeah, yeah it's in this series. Um, yeah. So in terms of like the rest of the series for Dallas and Vegas, you know, I, I guess it's like unlike the other series, it's like Vegas was playing in their home turf, our home ice. 
I think that's the right home rink. Home rink. I think that's the better term. Home barn. Home barn. Yeah, yeah. Because turf implies home that digs. there's grass, right? So yeah, the home. Stomping grounds. You know what? I, I I don't know if this is actually what they call it, but they should call it like the palace or the castle or something for the Golden Knights or something. Mm, um, yeah, the, the castle. Yeah, the golden yeah. castle. Yeah, yeah, Because it's like they call it the There's a golden the palace tank, already. Right? It's an Egril place in Ottawa. The golden palace Egrils. Oh, yeah, but yeah. Golden, the golden castle would be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they call it the shark tank in San Jose. Um, I think there's that's... Oh, the duck pond. The Ponda. Because it's like Honda Center, but they call it the Ponda. Um so, so yeah, they sh should have it as like the castle or something. Anyways, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm interested just because I feel like Jake Ettinger has had an interesting playoffs this year. Because um, it's like one game, uh, he's like not good. And then the next game, he's very good. Although it's like very reminiscent of uh, a one Alexander, uh, no, uh, Andre Vasilevsky. Um, who, like, after he loses one game in the playoffs, he, like, he becomes a different person the next game. Um, so... Yeah, and the, the stats back it up with that during yeah. this year as well. All I believe, year, I believe there was... I, I guess it's different now because they lost two in a row, but, I, like, I thought there was a statistic that he's never lost two in a row until now, so we'll see. Um, but anyways... Yeah, yeah. My, my original point being that, like, unlike the other series where Florida was on the road and won those games, this is one where Vegas won on the home home turf. Dallas hasn't had a chance to play at home yet. So th there there is still a chance for this to be a series. Um, and I venture that, it, you know, just the fact that, like, both these games have gone into overtime just shows that, like, okay, this is a very intense series that it could go either way. Um but yeah, I, I think Dallas, I mean, we both predicted Dallas to go seven. Um, and yeah, we'll see. And also, because uh, we didn't really properly get to do this, speaking of previews, uh, this is the Pete DeBoer series. Um, so, yeah. so there's yeah. that. Anyways. Yeah, I, I have no issues there. Um, in terms of, uh, in terms of goal tank, <laughs> Man, it would be so 2023 playoffs if Aiden Hill just outduels Jake Ettinger. Like, yeah. a, you would argue, like, a Vezina caliber goalie, uh, Vezina caliber nominee this year, and Aiden Hill outduels him. Like, what a headline that would be. Um, and, and to your point about Jake Ettinger being ordinary, I noticed in the Kraken series, and we mentioned it uh, previously, he was pulled twice. And it just seemed like Seattle was just having their way with him. They were picking up the. They were just picking their spots and without fail, just sniping them into the net. And uh, it, it just, he's, he's just looked ordinary. Um, but as you mentioned, Brett, that uh, bounce back factor is what made him so valuable. And uh, I mean, if you talk about bounce back games, uh, probably none bigger than the game three he's about to play in a couple of nights from now. So a uh, little room for error for the stars. Now they, they have to adjust quickly and, Again, like I said, Peter DeBoer uh, can't be outcoached in this series. Now down 0-2. Um, a lot, a lot of things uh, he needs. He needs to have the edge in, and hopefully, having last change is going to give him uh, the advantage he's looking for. Because, um, 
man, I, I feel like uh, Vegas is also the type of team they can win, they can win anywhere that they play. Like heading into uh, Winnipeg in round one, they took both games to take a three one series lead, and then they closed it out at home. And then uh, in their second round series with the Oilers, um, they were able to um, they were able to go into Edmonton have a huge statement game three. And then they were able to close out the series in Game Six as well. So um, they're again another team that's able to win anywhere. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We'll we'll see. It should be a fun series, or right? I look forward to them. I um, yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, okay, I think that's about it uh, from us here. Um, it's the first time in a while that we're ending. Uh, with less than two hours, so uh, congratulations. Oh, it didn't hit two hours? Wow, I thought yeah. for sure it did. No, no, we have an hour and 51 minutes, so, so we are Okay, well, uh, yeah, let's uh, wrap, wrap it up before yeah, yeah. new tangent Technically, it's before not two hours. breaking news happens. Technically, it's not two hours, but, uh, but it's pretty close. Um, Alright, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm Brett Duboff. Oh, at least I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 366 of the Lace Month Podcast.